DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of several books, including Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, Heaven and Faith, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We are on the eighth day of Heaven and Faith. This eighth day is a very beautiful day. It's a day where we kind of look into the mystery of identification with Christ. Those whom God has foreknown, He is also predestined to become conformed to the image of His divine Son. And those whom He has predestined, He has also called. And those whom He has called, He has also justified. And those whom He has justified, He has also glorified. What then shall we say after that? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will separate me from the love of Christ? This is how the mystery of predestination, the mystery of divine election, appeared to the enlightened gaze of the Apostle. Those whom he has foreknown Are not we of that number? Cannot God say to our soul what he once said through the voice of his prophet? I passed by you and saw you. I saw that the time had come for you to be loved. I spread my garment over you. I swore to you to protect you. And I made a covenant with you and you became mine. Yes, we have become his through baptism. That is what Paul means by these words. He called them, yes, called to receive the seal of the Holy Trinity. At the same time, we have been made, in the words of St. Peter, sharers in the divine nature We have received a beginning of his existence. Then, he has justified us by his sacraments, by his direct touches in our contemplation in the depths of our soul. Justified us also by faith and according to the measure of our faith in the redemption that Jesus Christ has acquired for us. And finally, He wants to glorify us, and for that reason, says St. Paul, 
He has made us worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. But we will be glorified in the measure in which we will have been conformed to the image of His divine Son. So, let us contemplate this adored image. Let us remain unceasingly under its radiance so that it may imprint itself on us. Let us go to everything with the same attitude of soul that our Holy Master would have. Then we will realize the great plan by which God has resolved in Himself to restore all things in Christ. How is it that a 26-year-old nun can have such a grasp of that Trinitarian nature, and so much so to understand the predestination of our souls in God? I mean, it's so deep. Yeah, it's beautiful, and, and I don't really have a good explanation for you, except that from very early on, she was drawn to deep prayer and deep prayer, prayer of silence, prayer where we surrender ourselves before the presence of God, teaches us things that are more than we can learn in books. The reason why she's able to talk about things with so much energy and clarity, these aren't just ideas for her. These are things she knows in her heart. She's experienced things that are communicated to her in her contemplation of Christ, and they are things She's sharing with us to draw us deeper and deeper into prayer. Her prayer life began at her first communion when she was a little girl. After mm -hmm. receiving her first communion, she's reported to have said to a friend of hers, I'm no longer hungry. God has fed me. And the mother prioress of the monastery just next to the parish where she received that first communion said, while she was talking to her about this feeling of God's presence, the sense of God's presence, Elizabeth went into prayer right in front of her. And we have other instances through her life, through her teenage life, where her friends and, and people who knew her saw that she was inclined to pray that when she was present to you, she was really present, but you also had a feeling the whole time she was with you that she couldn't wait to go back into prayer. And I guess the reason why I'm bringing this out right now is we tend to look at prayer or silence, the withdrawing from the world and trying to be presents to God, we look at it as kind of a, a hard thing to do and we get frustrated because we do not feel like we're getting anything out of it. The reality is when there's no devotion there, we shouldn't be going to prayer. Uh, St. Thomas says you pray insofar as you have devotion to pray. And then when the devotion runs out, you don't pray. <laughs> you go and you serve the poor, you feed the hungry, even if the hungry and naked are, are the people who live in your own home, you go and put yourself into service because prayer without devotion is, is meaningless. But um, at the same time, if we exercise the, the muscle of devotion, uh, in our heart, we'll find that it gets stronger and stronger. And as it gets stronger, that we are able to spend more time in prayer with attention and love. When we do this, as we cultivate that, God is able to communicate these most beautiful truths to us. 
and we see them in a, not just an intellectual abstract way, a theological way, but we see them with wisdom of heart. And so I, I want to talk about this theme of wisdom of heart as we talk about predestination because predestination, I've heard a lot of people talk about it over the years, but very mm -hmm. few of those who talk about it talk about it with wisdom of heart. Mm -hmm. um, Elizabeth has uh, this wisdom of heart because she, in her prayer, turns her attention. She sees Jesus. Contemplation means to turn the eye of your heart, turn your attention to Jesus. And as you behold him, he is the word of the Father. He is the, the harmony, the, the mediation of the Father's love to us. And so the Father loves us in an exceeding way, and we experience that love when we cleave to him in faith. So when we go into silent prayer, it's not that nothing's happening. We're cleaving to Christ in faith, and while we're cleaving to Christ in faith, he's communicating his love to us. And this love is communicated to us on a, a level much deeper than our feelings or our thoughts or our fantasies or our intuition. And so sometimes when we're cleaving to Christ, holding on to him the best we can, sometimes it feels like nothing's happening and it seems like a waste of time. But when that happens for you, do not get frustrated. As long as you're able to cleave to Christ, as long as you're able to turn your attention to him and hold on to him, hang on, even if it seems like nothing's happening, because what's going on is Jesus is expanding your soul. He's making it vast. When you're making something vast, increasing the space in something, well, a lot of scientists, when they first looked out into the stars, they thought that the space was a big, giant, empty vacuum, you know, nothing but cold ice and harshness out there. Well, as our telescopes got bigger and, and stronger, we began to see that uh, space explodes with all kinds of things all the time. Wonders that we w could have never fathomed are constantly surprising uh, astronomers as they gaze out into the heavens. Well, this is what happens when we gaze at Christ, when we look to him. And he expands the depths of our hearts. At first, it seems like nothing is going on. At first, it seems that we're kind of lost and maybe even God has abandoned us. But if we persevere in this prayer of attending to God, he communicates to us, Jesus communicates to us the vast horizons of the Father's love. And as those that has that love overwhelms us, overflows us, the immensity of it dawns on us. What we gain is wisdom of heart. Wisdom is a taste for divine things. It's a, a seeing of the whole. You, we're able to see how it all comes together. That's what the Father's love gives us. When we receive his love, we're able to see how the whole world fits together, how all the saving truth revealed in Christ fits together, and we begin to hunger for it. And in her thoughts on predestination, this wisdom of heart, this hunger for divine thing, the seeing of the whole, it informs her vision of predestination. Those whom he has foreknown. <laughs> Are not we of that number? Cannot God say to our soul what he once said through the voice of his prophet? I passed by you and saw you. 
I saw that the time had come for you to be loved. I spread my garment over you. I swore to you to protect you. And I made a covenant with you. And you became mine. I think one of Elizabeth's contributions is she actually moves our thoughts on predestination forward by rerouting us or helping us rediscover a more ancient way of looking at predestination than maybe John Calvin. Uh, in fact, especially if you read the Eastern Fathers of the Church and their thoughts on the mystery of predestination, what you'll discover is they looked at predestination from the, you might call the order of execution. What does this mean for my life? Rather than the way some conversations about predestination goes, it's used as a, a doctrine to discuss who's in heaven and who's not in heaven. Mm -hmm, and, that's it. And, you know, am I one of the lucky ones to get there? And, you know, boy, that person over there doesn't look like they're predestined. In other words, we abuse this doctrine as it is now often, we abuse it as, well, an excuse to judge people with mm -hmm. and also a, an excuse to validate our own spiritual pride more often than not. In other words, mm -hmm. I know what predestination is and poor fool over there doesn't know it. Or else the other thing we can do is we can use it to validate our spiritual despair. Oh, that person over there, he has it all and he's all together and I I don't and maybe this just means I'm not I'm I'm not really part of God's plan. And both of those things, the pride and the despair, these are grave spiritual diseases that those who want to make progress in the spiritual life need to submit to the grace and the love of Christ Jesus. Because mm. the doctrine of predestination is neither about judging others or judging ourselves. The doctrine of predestination, if we understand it right, is an incredible invitation to each one of us personally. And this is what Elizabeth brings out, and this is what the fathers bring out, the Eastern fathers in particular. And I, I like to call it predestination understood in the order of, of execution, meaning in the order of how I'm going to live my life. I can live my life choosing to believe that Christ has predestined me. I have the right to believe that because St. Paul has revealed to me as a member of the church that I'm among the predestined. St. Paul, when he's writing, writes in the book of Ephesians that we have been predestined in Christ for every spiritual blessing in the heavens. And that means that God the Father, before the foundation of the world, knew you, knew me, knew all of our listeners, and all the circumstances, life circumstances each of us are in, knows the truth of all of us. And in knowing that truth of all of us from all eternity, he chose you in Christ. And he chose you in such a way that he wants to bless you in Christ. He wants to give you a blessing. Now, what does it mean to be blessed? To be blessed means to receive your identity and your mission from God, to receive the strength, the gift you need to do that special thing that God has called you to do. 
And St. Paul is saying, this is in Ephesians, first chapter of Ephesians. He's saying, from the very beginning, the reason why we are able to do anything at all to please God, to praise his name, is because before the foundation of the world, according to his plan, a plan that comes out of wisdom and love, he has chosen to predestine us in Christ for the blessings he wants to give us. This means every blessing that comes to us comes to us through Christ crucified. And every blessing that draws us closer to him, that gives us a sense of who we are and how to serve him, this has come to us through our risen Lord who lives in us. And so to be predestined in Christ means to be called to live in Christ. And when we do this, this is what St. Paul says, and this is what Elizabeth contemplates and is in her mind when she writes this prayer that we just thought of. Is When we do this, when we choose to live in Christ, when we choose the Father's blessing, when we open ourselves to this grace of predestination and say yes to the Father's blessing, we become capable of living our lives in such a way that we're actually able to, to praise the glory of God. Elizabeth of the Trinity, in fact, viewed her secret name from all eternity, we said this in a previous episode, is praise of glory. She believed that St. Paul told her her name was praise of glory as she was reading the letter of the Ephesians and heard these words echo in her heart. She believed that St. Paul had revealed to her by these words her secret name in heaven, the name that God calls her by. This gift, she understood in a very personal way. Now she's sharing in this retreat to her sister, she's suggesting that this, this gift, this ability to praise the glory of God because the Father has chosen to bless us through his Son. This gift is something open not only to contemplative religious, not only open to she herself, but even open to her sister, a laywoman, a mother of, of children and a family. And over and above that, I think Elizabeth would now say with her spiritual mission, this, this blessing from the Father is something that is for all of us who will say yes, who will choose to believe in Jesus, who will choose to live in him. And that's why, so in the first part, she talks about predestination, and she roots it in another, another passage from St. Paul. Those whom God has foreknown, he is also predestined to become conformed to the image of his divine Son. And those whom he is predestined, he is called, and those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. What she's saying is that this predestination, this isn't something that just happens at the end of your life in some future life, it's beginning right now, the glorification of us, this predestination, this blessing, the Father's blessing, changing my life, is going on right now. Heaven is here present insofar as I live in Christ, as insofar as I'm identified with Christ. In that identity with Christ, a new kind of life becomes possible. I become capable of uh, living in a whole new way. There's a lot of people who think that our faith is about morality mm -hmm. and the therapeutic and a kind of deism. 
And so that if I kind of know God's there, if I get spiritual highs from, from time to time because he's there. Therefore, I'll be able to live a moral life. I'm going to be able to do good stuff. This is a big trap because that's not our Christian faith. Our Christian faith isn't God's a guy hanging out there who sometimes helps us out a little bit so that we can do what we're supposed to do. And Elizabeth is getting at the same thing. To know Jesus, to receive the blessing of the Father through Jesus, this isn't just about me doing what I'm supposed to do. It's not just about me kind of conforming to some moral code. To receive this blessing in Christ is to have explode in my heart a whole new way of life that gives praise and glory to God and does it even in my weaknesses and in my failures, even as I struggle with different attachments to sin and my interior poverty, this new life is nonetheless exploding in me. We have become his through baptism. That is what Paul means by these words. He called them, yes, called to receive the seal of the Holy Trinity. At the same time, we have been made, in the words of St. Peter, sharers in the divine nature. We have received a beginning of his existence. Then, he has justified us by his sacraments, by his direct touches in our contemplation in the depths of our soul justified us also by faith and according to the measure of our faith in the redemption that Jesus Christ has acquired for us and finally he wants to glorify us and for that reason says St. Paul he has made us worthy to share in the inheritance of the saints in light but we will be glorified in the measure in which we will have been conformed to the image of his divine son. If I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, this is what she's saying here, if I contemplate Jesus, he will touch us. He will touch us through the sacraments. He will touch us because we've been baptized. He will touch us through our prayer. As we keep our eyes fixed on him, he is expanding our hearts. Elizabeth, in other words, she's using this doctrine of predestination in a very dynamic way. Those who are baptized have, in fact, been called by Christ. What's interesting, Anthony, too, is that when she takes us through this particular retreat and into that depth of prayer, that she is taking us through the heart to many of the dogmas that have defined our faith. And, and what I mean by that, instead of going through the head and learning something, she's discovering things in a new way, and she kind of leads us there to these understandings. Does that make sense? I think your observation is very beautiful. In other words, the whole purpose of dogma, uh, dogma is an authoritative teaching of the church which we must believe by faith. The whole purpose of it is so that we might encounter Christ in a life-changing way. That's why the church teaches what it teaches. And sometimes when we look at the dogmas of, of our faith, like predestination, 
we get so caught up in the explanations of them and trying to explain them and make them intellectually acceptable. We get so caught up into that enterprise that we do not allow that truth to open us up to an encounter with Christ. Elizabeth is challenging us to live the truth by meeting him. Uh, mm -hmm. We live in Christ. We live in the truth because we have an encounter with him. The whole doctrine of predestination is about a meeting of Christ that the Father has willed from before time began. Uh, a meeting with Christ that has to do with the deepest and most important aspirations of our heart. A meeting with Christ that confers a blessing that's particular to each one of us and that we need to live our life, not live our life with our mortal souls self-sufficiently clogging along, uh, mm -hmm. but to live our life animated by the Holy Spirit, filled with mm -hmm. Him. When we live like that, yes, there are trials and hardships, physical difficulties, and persecutions besides. All kinds of blessings come our way. None of those things take away the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Father's blessing. Instead, each one of those things can become like a sacrament that leads us into deeper union with the Father. Because in each one of those things, uh, Jesus has an opportunity to reveal himself, reveal the blessings of the Father, and transform us. So you're right. It's an incredible personal look at the dogmas and what they mean for the spiritual life. And she's relentless she never lets us off the hook into kind of intellectual abstraction. She's always pulling us back into prayer. But we will be glorified in the measure in which we will have been conformed to the image of his divine Son. So, let us contemplate this adored image. Let us remain unceasingly under its radiance so that it may imprint itself on us. Let us go to everything with the same attitude of soul that our holy master would have. Then we will realize the great plan by which God has resolved in himself to restore all things in Christ. we should let ourselves be fascinated by his radiance. I talked in the beginning about sometimes it's hard to have the devotion we need for prayer and, and we need to practice prayer to build that devotion. But the real thing that allows us to grow and mature in prayer is when we set the eyes of our hearts on the radiant beauty of Christ. He who is crucified for our sake he who has the power to forgive all our sins and heal all our weaknesses, he who knows all that inner poverty and the deepest struggles that we have, he's gazing on us in love. And there is nothing more powerful in prayer than to look into those eyes that love us so much. When you see how much you are loved, it is easy to pray. Beautiful. Anthony, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. I look forward to being with you again. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. 
This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.